the teachers of many of our teachers living in Burma or Thailand or India and um, and just seeing their different faces, some in robes and some not, some kind of big and some really small. And, um, and I feel such a deep gratitude for each of them because it's through their practice um, and their dedication to sharing uh, what's worked for them that um, we're here. And it's it's the best of um, globalization. Um, so, this morning we talked in our sharing circle, in our question and answer circle, about how um, we've inherited the, um, <clears throat> the suffering of our ancestors. And I wanted to dedicate this talk to how we've also inherited their strengths because um, without the strengths that we've inherited, we wouldn't be here. So for <clears throat> the places where we've learned resilience and determination and vision and wisdom and love and kindness and um, uh, love, um, I honor those beings who gave that to us, whoever they were, and um, dedicate the Dharma talk to them. But first, on a matter of um, <coughs> um, doors, um, <laughs> someone here is um, deathly allergic to bees and wasps, and. Um, the problem with having the doors open directly to the outside is that when this person is sitting with their eyes closed, they can't see if a bee or a wasp has landed on them. So they ask us to make sure that the doors to the outside are closed so that they can feel safe in the hall to meditate. So I just wanted, because um, I don't have a lot of opportunities, it's lovely to have three of us up here, you know, um, in some ways, and then in other ways it means that um, I don't get to talk quite as much as I'd like to. <laughs> uh, uh, so, because I don't have as quite as many opportunities, I just wanted to say um, what a pleasure it, it is to sit with you and practice with you and see you and feel you. 
um, here in this room. It's just really lovely and wonderful. And um, um, I wish we could do this more often. <laughs> <coughs> I wanted to um, I wanted to talk tonight a little bit more about the overview of the path, and um, I'm ready. I'm sorry, really. oh, 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 that's okay. Um, and to talk um, particularly about love and wisdom and how they connect together and those practices. Um, it's a little. You know, it's a little different for each of us how we come to the path. But for me, love and wisdom has been, um, those two energies have been um, totally linked and woven together. And so in the movement meditation, when I um, say, you know, connect with the sensation, notice the sensation, or when we sit up here and say, notice the sensation of the breath, that actually is the conditions for love. Because the nature of awareness is that when it comes directly into contact with any one of our experiences, and those experiences could be sensations, the physical sensations of heat or coolness, of vibration, of stretching, of pulling, of pressure, of softness, of a sense of connectedness, and those are expressions of the earth, the air, the fire and water, the Buddha said, those, those sensations that we experience. So pressure, softness is the earth element in us. And, um, or hardness and softness, and vibration is air, and then there's temperature, hot, cold, and, and water is a sense of fluidity or connectedness. When we come into direct connection with that, or when we come into connection with feeling, just clearly pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, or when we come into direct connection with a, an emotion, or with a thought, there is love in that direct connection. When there is presence without any agenda, that, that um, openness and that contact that happens, there in that contact is love. And that's why it's said that there cannot be any wisdom without love and any love without wisdom, because they go hand in, they go hand, in hand. Contact, connection of awareness with the experience is the conditions for love. And that connection is a connection that is open-hearted and accepting of it just as it is. And that's love. So then it's said, if there isn't any awareness, if there isn't any clarity or understanding, there can't be love. And if there isn't any love, there can't be any wisdom or clarity. They go hand in hand. <coughs> so that's, 
that that's the that's the manifestation of awareness and love then the 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 invitation for us is what are all the practices that build it and the first the first and fundamental practice of building that kind of connection with ourselves is the practice of non-harming but i want to go back and just say this one other thing about this practice of the connection that happens that kind of connection and sometimes the connection of the awareness to the experience is so sweet and strong that everything opens and dissolves and we have an experience of the uh, of our true universal nature or beauty or divinity that possibility isn't predictable so i know that this path is developmental you know that we that it it's it's given in the context of a history you know here we sit here's the beginning and we even just follow the breath all the way through to the end that's kind of developmental here's the precepts that we can practice then you know we keep coming to retreats and we p- keep purifying and at some point you know we have increasingly deeper connections and i want to say at any point conditions come together and it's unpredictable where that opening happens sometimes a little opening and sometimes a big opening we don't know that so for some of us we very early in the path we've had openings like me and then we've and then we've had to sort of do a lot of regathering work and sort of building and sustaining around that and then for others it comes later and for others it's in the middle it's different for each one of us and i'm saying this because it's very easy to sort of slide into a this developmental groove of thinking that well you know i'm going to keep on coming to retreats and yeah i'll kind of practice the precepts and you know this path is developmental and it is it does change we change we do our hearts do open our mindfulness does get stronger and then this is whole other aspect which is the immediacy of it and that's kind of the part that i want to communicate which is at any point when awareness makes that connection with any experience when that connection is is without any kind of desire aversion or delusion and we can't tell when that's going to happen that opening happens and i know that all of us in some way or another have already experienced openings of some kind or another what's what's important about um including this in our understanding is that where we can be alert to that rather than just get into the groove you know we can bring that understanding of or that invitation of the immediacy of 
of purity, of opening and of transformation. <coughs> and it's... <coughs> um, and, and it happens through our intention. That's why it's so beautiful that Larry talked about intention. It happens through our intention of wanting to be present. So then to come to come back to the developmental aspects of it, because that's the immediate aspect of it, that, that contact. The developmental aspect of it is that um, deep calling from our hearts that <coughs> understand that the conditions that bring about this opening are the conditions of non-harming. And I think we understand that from two aspects. One is because many of us have experienced harm in one way or another, maybe as part of the LGBT community or as women and, um, uh, um, or as people of color or as Jews or as people who are experiencing disability or just through the ignorance of our familial conditions. Because we've experienced that impact, there is some acknowledgement inside of us that knows we don't want to increase that energy and that we don't want to contribute it to the world. And so there's some calling that calls us to this position that says, I know that I'm carrying the results and consequences of this harm inside of me. And I know that when I don't make a conscious choice to relate to it, what happens is that it repeats itself in all kinds of different ways. So, I know that my parents had the best intentions of being good parents and because they couldn't hold and work with the harm that they experienced, it came out in ways that they didn't have control over. The Buddha says that coming to this acknowledgement of seeing what harm does, and we've all seen it, we've all of us shared already in very beautiful ways the profound impact of harm and the consequences of that in our lives. Really acknowledging it and then taking a stand because we're really acknowledging it to say no more. I I take responsibility for this, not to continue to act it out in different ways. Now, the Buddha says to do this not, not for some um, um, socially moral reason, although that could, that's also a good reason, but because this practice of refraining from harming becomes the condition 
for this kind of pure contact with our being. Because if our minds and hearts are caught in the anxiety of lying or stealing or of, of sexual activity that isn't um, um, caring and kind, we can't, that contact doesn't happen. The, the, mind, the mind is so much like a storm that there's no possibility of that contact happening. So for happiness, for our happiness, for, for, the he, for our healing, the Buddha invites us to non-harming. And then just to, just to um, um, <clears throat> but um, actually before I go um, into the precepts, let me read this. I just, I said the other day to um, Eric and um, Larry, oh, do you have any light reading? And they said, no. <laughs> <laughs> So I went in search of light reading, and I, got, I went to the staff lounge, and they, they didn't have any light reading either. There was, a, like, you know, probably a hundred heavy-duty Dharma books, and then, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so happy. <laughs> so um, then I, 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 wanted to, um, I wanted to read... Um, uh, uh, what I what I read, uh, and let me find you the, the picture. I don't know if you all um, I don't know if you all remember Daniel Perlman. He was the um, I want to find his picture. He was the um, the uh, um, journalist for the Wall Street journal, journal that was in Pakistan, and he was um, in Karachi. That's him. <coughs> And he was trying to follow up a lead of you. Re, you remember that um, that guy in the plane who had a bomb in his shoe, and um, Daniel followed some leads around him and found out that he actually had been trained by some Al Qaeda people in Pakistan. So he went to Pakistan to try and follow up the links of it, and um, that's that's his wife, and so. He, he did all this research and um, finally found the cleric who was the, um, one of the teachers. I can't remember the name of the guy with the shoe, but it was one of the teachers. And um, got someone to make an appointment for him with this cleric. And, um, that, you know, I won't go into all the things. There were various things that happened that weren't quite right. But anyway, he went off to the appointment and he was kidnapped. And, um, and he was held just for three days, and the kidnappers demanded a release of all the prisoners in Cuba, Guantanamo Bay. And um, um, Colin, Colin Powell refused to negotiate. And people, um, his wife felt um, in the beginning really hopeful that he was going to be okay because he was just a journalist after all. And... Um, um, they didn't think he was going to. They didn't think he was going to be hurt. So, um, oh, that's the wrong one. I've 
lost my place here. This is his wife, Marianne. We knew Danny was in a life or death situation, so we were in a fighting mood. They were trying to scare us, so I couldn't be scared. That was the first thing. So Opera says, so your reaction is, I'm not afraid of you? Marianne says, yes, I'm going to fight back. And I knew Danny was doing the same thing. When I received the pictures, I saw a photo where he was smiling because he wanted to say, I'm okay. He had shackles on, but his hand goes like this, making a peace sign with two fingers in the photo. But in another picture, the hand, and I'm sorry for that gesture, goes like this. He's trying to convey something. He can't speak, but he speaks. So, Opera says, in the photo where he has his head down, you think he's smiling? Marianne says, yes, you can see that. Everybody was like, why is he smiling? But I knew why. He was saying, I'm all right. They're trying to silence me. They're trying to scare me. And I'm resisting that. So he and I were doing exactly the same thing. Opera says, my friends and I would watch the news and say prayers and be hoping, hoping, hoping for the best. So many people believed Danny would be okay. He was a journalist for the Wall Street Journal. Why would they kill him? Did you believe he was going to be freed? I put myself in this place. Whether you die or live, we're going to be together. Whatever happens, I'm with you. So Opera says, so you weren't in this please, please let him live place. No, I did everything to keep my strength together. And if I was not afraid of his dying, then I would be stronger. And then she continues. <clears throat> at, at that moment, it's so extreme. They're trying to take the most important thing from you, and that's real war. They're taking somebody as a symbol. They don't care about Danny, but they want to kill me, and they want to kill his countrymen, and they want to kill the Wall Street Journal, and they want to kill Jews. So Opera says, if they can scare you, then they make you bend. And Marianne says, then they've won. And to this day, it's the same struggle. Even to write this book was painful. But if I fall now after this ordeal, my son becomes an unhappy man because of that. And then they've won. And I can't let them win. That doesn't mean I'm not suffering. They took away my husband. But if they can't destroy me, then they have ultimately lost, even though they took Danny's life. I have to deny them their goal, which is to terrify, to crush, and to paralyze. People sometimes ask me, do you think Danny was killed because he was Jewish or because he was American? And I say, in a way, it's not relevant. That's not the point. The point is they want a clash of civilizations. They want war. And if you deny them war, you've won. So beautiful. <clears throat> So refraining from harming, refraining from moving into embellishing our hatred, our anger, 
or our fear. And I feel very moved by a story that um, Achen Amaro tells about Achen Chah. Achen Chah was the teacher of Jack Cornfield and um, actually some, uh, who else? And Achen Samedo and Achen Amaro was there as well, and, and some of the other monks. And um, Achen Cha is one of was one of the more realised um, beings. Lived in Thailand, and um, I don't know if you know, but in Thailand there's a heavy ghost culture. You know, when you're growing up and you do something, they're like, a ghost is coming to get you. You know, don't do that. And if you're bad, a ghost is coming to get you. And um, so Achen Shah grew up with actually a very strong fear of ghosts. And at some point in his life, a quite, a sort of quite on into his life as a teacher, he realized, you know, I am really scared of ghosts. And I w- I've been running away from my fear of ghosts. And I really want to confront it. So he decides to go and sit in the charnel grounds where they bury people because that's where they're supposed to be the most ghosts and the worst ghosts. <laughs> and and so, he, so he takes just a candle and his mosquito netting and he goes and, um, at sunset and he goes and sits in the, in the burial grounds and he's really hoping that no one comes and gets buried. But later on in the night, he hears these voices and he's like, oh God, no. And he starts to feel his heart palpitations and sweat. And he, and he hears the people coming and he hears the digging of the earth and he's really going through it. He is terrified. And he's, you know, gritting his teeth and sticking it through and he sticks it through the whole night. And dawn comes and his first thought is, oh my God, I've done it. I've done it. I've been here. I've, I've faced my fear. And then he says to himself, you are still totally terrified. You, you have to continue to sit here. And so he sits all through the day. And his, stu- his students come and like, you know, um, uh, I don't know what they call that. I've forgotten the short abbreviate name of teacher, but... But teacher, teacher, you know, you haven't drunk anything. You can't just sit here. This is not good for you. And he's like, I, I am going to conquer this fear of ghosts. And so he sits through the next night. And this time he hears, <coughs> I mean, this isn't just a human being. He says the footsteps are really big and really loud. And he goes into this incredible terror where everything is literally shaking from terror. Sweat is pouring down. And he says at some point, in just staying present and saying, I am not going to let you win, he realizes this is just fear. I have been teaching for years to my students. You are not your fear. You are more than your fear. You are not your feelings. You are more than your feelings. I am not my fear. I am more than my fear. And in realizing that, he said everything dissolved. His fear dissolved and he was illuminated with love and with clarity. And um, (laughs) um, 
I got very inspired by the story of of calling forth my energies to con to confront um, um, one of my negative patterns. And in this case, one of my negative patterns um, was um, uh, in relationship to my living situation. Eric talked told his story about his living situation. And um, my, 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 living, my living situation was that um, while I was away in um, the fall, um, I sublet my apartment and a couple moved in and they split up while they were there. And the woman called me while I was in New Mexico and said, can I stay? Can I continue to stay? And I was in New Mexico and far away and not really being very careful. I said, sure, without making any parameters around it. So I come back and it's not working out. And there's something going on that's triggering this incredible fear for me so that I can't sleep. And um, I feel very remorseful about it, but I go to the, uh, my roommate and I say, I am really, really sorry. It's not working. We, we, we actually tried to negotiate a number of things, but it wasn't working. I need you to leave. And she said to me, no. <laughs> and um, I, you know, I tried different things, and no, she says no. This is my home too now, and I'm not leaving. And um, it triggered this deep sense of my space being violated, and I and I became really terrified. And um, I, you know, I was trying to do the adult thing, and I said, "Well, you know, if you won't move, then you're asking you're asking uh, me to start legal proceedings." She said, "Fine, I don't care. Start legal proceedings." <laughs> and I was at a loss, and um, I, I called Eric up, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I felt I felt in a very very victim position. And um, I called another friend up and she said, Arena, you're being too nice. I, I was actually being very nice. <laughs> she said, you're being too nice. You have to do something that matches her. She's your teacher. You have to become more like her. You have to wake her up in the middle of the night and say, um, why should you sleep? I can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, there is no way that I would do that. But she said something that really struck a chord in me. And so even though I couldn't imagine doing it, because I, honestly, I, I'm sort of overly nice. Um, <laughs> um, I started inclining my mind to it. I just practiced right intention. <laughs> May, may I call, may I call forth Achinchar's energy, you know? May, may I manifest this particular type of crazy wisdom. Mm -hmm. So one night when I couldn't sleep, about four days later, I, did, I start, I have these, 
bells at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> and then I take up my Tibetan chant of removing all obstacles. <laughs> and I start walking down the passageway, chanting in Tibetan. <laughs> <laughs> and then and having my rattle and then also ringing the bell <laughs> so of course she comes storming out her room and she says what are you doing and I call forth Achan Cha's energy the great Bodhisattva energy and I say I can't sleep, so why should you? <laughs> and she looks at me and she says, you are crazy. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, yes. <laughs> and the next day she says to me, I'm moving. <laughs> <laughs> so calling forth and calling forth this great power that we have greater than we think we have greater even than we imagine we have to take a stand and to take a stand when it feels right to take a stand, to call forth that energy that says, no, I am not going to let the negative energies win. I am not. And the thing, the thing I, I feel like I have this, um, um, the blessing um, that Larry spoke about of coming to rock bottom. And I know that some of you have heard they heard me speak about it, of coming to a place of such deep self-hatred from experiencing so much hatred that I try to kill myself. And in the point of trying to do that, and this is like breaking the first precept, but I didn't know it then, um, of taking an overdose of pills, I was taking all these pills, moment of clarity flashed through me and it said I do not want to kill myself I want to kill my father and it was so liberating because even though I didn't realize it then that turning around was the turning around of saying I want to find a path I know this isn't about killing myself this is about finding a way to live. And my whole life has been, in a way, that stand of saying, even though I didn't know how to do it, no, I went almost to that place of doing it, and then I was like, no, I am not letting you win. I am taking a stand. And the Buddha says this. He says, if you find yourself right at the edge, you know, forget, forget just, um, forget just being, you know, oh, I am, 
I am here present, I am noticing being at the edge. He's like, clench your teeth, grab your fist, jump up and down on the ground. Do what it is you have to, to say, no, I am not going to let them win the war. The, the, that, that force of ignorance, of hatred, of, of um, um, delusion. So this commitment to non-harming is that deep turning around and saying, I am not going to let you win. And it is so profoundly beautiful. In fact, the Dalai Lama says, and he sat right here uh, a number of years ago at a teacher's meeting, and he said, someone asked him a question about teaching uh, now, teaching the Dharma. And he's, he's not, so he's talking to um, a mixed group of Zen, Tibetan, and Western Buddhist order people, and us Theravadan people. And he says, don't teach, don't teach Buddhism. And I'm like, don't teach Buddhism? He says, teach kindness. And that is it, that, that when we take that first stand of saying, no, you can't win, then the path is a path of kindness, of loving kindness. And really, in the end, that's what it is about. It is about finding love. And the vision that's held up to us in this path is the vision of love and wisdom. In the Tibetan tradition, um, they have that really, in a way, more clearly described and delineated for us. So um, there, that beautiful Tara, is um, right there, um, but also here, is um, they are, but somehow sometimes that feels more alive to me than, but she's beautiful. They're both beautiful, really. Um, that, that this is us, and, they say, and the beginning practices are the practices of imagining these incredible beings, the Buddha, the Bodhisattva, the Taras around us, beings of pure love, just love and wisdom. And they're, they're emanating love and wisdom in the form of light, of orange light. And we're in the middle absorbing that. And we're opening and we're allowing our pores to open. And we're absorbing all the qualities of that love and that wisdom. And finally they dissolve and they become just that light and that light enters each one of us until we become that perfect and pure emanation of love and wisdom. And that is who we are. That visualization isn't just an exercise. It's the mirror reflecting back to us what our true reality is. We are that divine. <coughs> so, one of the 
one of the practices that helps, that's the beginning gateway to that, is the practice of appreciative joy. And that practice asks us, and again, this isn't just an exercise, to contemplate our beautiful qualities, to see realistically, and if it's hard for us, ask a friend, because all our friends could easily tell us what our beautiful qualities are, to contemplate them and to acknowledge them and to wish they continue to strengthen and grow. That's the practice of appreciative joy. By acknowledging them, by learning about them, by contemplating them, and by acknowledging them, we're strengthening them. So the practice of, of appreciative joy. I can end there. Um, there's, um, I had a lot more to do, but I can do it next time I talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more time. Um, I wanted to um, read this poem. When your eyes when your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your womb tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up all the other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn. Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. So let's sit for a moment together. I'd like to invite you, if you feel comfortable, to join me in recommitting to the precepts. I'll say them out aloud. I undertake the training to refrain from harming other living beings, including myself. 
I undertake the training to learn to love. I undertake the training to refrain from taking what is not freely offered, to refrain from stealing. I undertake the training to practice generosity. I undertake the training not to hurt through my sexuality, to refrain from harming myself or others. I undertake the training to be kind and careful in the expression of my sexuality. I undertake the training to refrain from harming through my speech, to refrain from lying, gossiping, backbiting, slandering. I undertake the training to speak truthfully and kindly and appropriately. I undertake the training not to lose my balance and open heart through the use of intoxicants or mind-altering substances. I undertake the training to be careful what I take into my body. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.